I'm glad you're traveling along with us on this wisdom journey. Stephen Davey has a lesson for you today called The Boyhood of Jesus. Stephen is the president of Wisdom International. There are some important and practical truths for us to learn as we examine the gospel account of the life of Jesus. One important principle is that unless there's true confession of sin, and evidence of genuine repentance, you simply do not know God. Keep listening. So far in our chronological study of the life of Christ, where we've combined the gospel accounts in order of their occurrence, we've uncovered eight different scenes relating to Jesus' birth and childhood. The first scene was his birth in a stable, Luke chapter 2, The second scene is when he was circumcised on the eighth day, also Luke chapter 2. The third scene was a month later when Mary and Joseph took their baby boy to the temple to present him to God, the latter part of Luke 2. The fourth scene is in a house in Bethlehem nearly two years later when some wise men arrived from Persia giving gifts to Jesus, and that's in Matthew chapter 2. Scene 5 opens with Joseph and his little family running for their lives, escaping to Egypt as King Herod tries to hunt them down in Bethlehem. That's Matthew 2 as well. Scene number 6 shows them returning to Nazareth to live following the death of Herod, the latter part of Matthew chapter 2. Now, scene number 7 finds 12-year-old Jesus asking and answering questions with the religious leaders there in the temple and And in that scene, Jesus reveals he's now fully conscious that he is God, the Son. That's the latter part of Luke chapter 2. Now, scene number 8 is the longest scene of all. It's going to last about 18 years as Jesus grows from the age of 12 to around the age of 30 when he begins his ministry. It's this eighth scene that is most quiet or silent. In fact, we're only given one little verse that describes his boyhood. That's Luke chapter 2, here at verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, there are some who would say that Jesus already had all the wisdom he needed, but that's not what Luke says here. In his humanity, Jesus kept increasing in three areas, wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. You see, Jesus is 100% divine, but we must remember he's also 100% human. He's going to grow up like any other boy in Nazareth. He's going to grow from immaturity to maturity. He's going to grow from naivety to discernment. He's going he's gonna to grow from doing things that are childish or, or, or even dangerous to becoming a wise young man. That also means, as a boy, Jesus would have caught a cold like everybody else. His nose ran. He stubbed his toe. He, he scraped his knees playing outside. He, he might have wanted to sleep in one morning, but he, he got up in obedience. And, and there's the difference. 
Jesus never sinned. The Holy Spirit protected and guided him safely and sinlessly through his boyhood years. By the way, uh, parents, keep in mind that there's a difference between being immature and being sinful. Being silly or dangerous as a child isn't the same thing as sinning. And Jesus would have grown through all these stages as well as he matured. And as he grew, he would begin fighting temptation like any other young man, but he would never fail even once. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, In every respect, he has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's Hebrews 4.15. He had, and, and by the way, he still has a human nature. He had a divine nature, two natures in one person. This is the mystery, beloved, of the incarnation. Now, we tend to forget that he was 100% human, and we, we, we think of him as living some kind of superhero life. In fact, that's how religious legends described his childhood. Early writers just couldn't stand the thought of him being a normal little boy. In fact, one legend says he was fashioning clay birds one morning, and then he breathed on them and he gave them life. Other legends say he miraculously corrected mistakes Joseph made in the carpenter's shop. Legends say he made trees bend over so his mother could pick the fruit more easily. Legends tell us that other children in Nazareth would bow down before him when he came outside to play. Oh, let me tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. These children weren't bowing down. Mary wasn't getting any miraculous help with dinner, and and Jesus was the child, simply the child of a carpenter in Nazareth. They were an ordinary peasant family. In fact, at about the age of 30, when Jesus preached his very first sermon in his hometown where he claimed to be the Messiah, people were so offended at him, they tried to push him off a cliff. Matthew records their response in chapter 13, verse 55. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? In other words, who does he think he is? Nobody's saying, oh, we knew it. We we knew it all along. We knew he was special. We knew he was a miracle worker. That's why we all bowed down to him when we were kids. Oh, no. For the previous 18 years, Jesus had worked as an ordinary carpenter's apprentice. He, He was learning from his stepfather, Joseph. We know from history that carpenters worked with stone, metal, and wood. They were the ones, by the way, who made plows used by all all the farmers around that region. You might wonder if Jesus was very good at it, after all, as a carpenter. One early church father made the interesting statement that farmers were still using plows Jesus had crafted a hundred years earlier. Well, now it's time for Jesus to leave his family and, and carpentry and begin announcing that he's the king of a coming kingdom. And, and this brings back into view the, the forerunner of Jesus. That's John the baptizer. Remember him? Over in Luke chapter 1 and verse 80, we read this. The child, that is John, grew and became strong in spirit. 
and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Now John, in other words, is about to break the silence of God. See, the last time God spoke to Israel, it was through the prophet Malachi, and that was 400 years earlier. During uh, these 400 years then, the Jewish people had, had, had experienced a lot of things. They'd gained their independence for a while. But by the time of John's ministry, Rome now ruled Israel. John breaks the silence of God in Matthew chapter 3, which, which gives the essence of his sermon here in verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, over in John's gospel, chapter 1, we're introduced to John the Baptist here in verse 7. He, that is John, came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So John the Baptist is going to break God's silence with good news. He's going to call for repentance because the light of the world has just arrived, or at least started his ministry. Now, over in Matthew again at chapter 3, John is identified in verse 3 as the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. By the way, that's a, that's a quote from chapter 40 of Isaiah's prophecy. And the point is this, if John is himself the fulfillment of prophetic scriptures, then the nation Israel had better listen to, to this announcement. And all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have John the Baptizer's ministry beginning in and around the Jordan River. He's going to call sinners, primarily from the nation of Israel, to confess their sins and be baptized there in the Jordan as a sign that they are truly repenting. Now, now keep in mind, we are still effectively in Old Testament times. The New Testament era actually begins with the creation of the church following the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. So John is an Old Testament prophet. His baptism by immersion needs to be understood in Old Testament terms. The word for baptize, by the way, means to dip or immerse. It was a symbol of changing their identity and their relationships in life. Back in the Old Testament times, a Gentile who wanted to become a follower of, of God had to be circumcised, had to be baptized by immersion, and begin living in obedience to the Mosaic Law. So this isn't really new to John in a sense. But the fascinating thing about John's baptism is that he's asking Jews to submit to baptism, not just Gentiles. In fact, to be baptized again, essentially. The Pharisees and scribes would have been scandalized by such an offensive demand from this Old Testament prophet. So here comes the prophet John. He's wearing a camel's hair tunic. He's carrying a lunchbox full of locusts and wild honey, and he's demanding that everybody who wants to follow God and confess their sins, Jew or Gentile, has got to wade out into the Jordan River for baptism. Listen, the ministry of John the Baptist was one of simply connecting people with the coming Messiah. See, John was the go-between. He, he was the messenger boy, so to speak. And he's about to introduce 
the Savior of the world. Well, with that, we're out of time for today. Until we sail again, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Stephen called today's lesson, The Boyhood of Jesus. I'm glad you joined us, and I hope you'll make a point to join us each weekday as Stephen takes you through the Bible. If you have a comment or suggestion about this wisdom journey, we'd love to hear it. We'd also be happy to try to answer any questions you might have. Our email address is info at wisdomonline.org. Our phone number is 866-48-BIBLE. If you have a comment, suggestion, or question, let us know. And then join us next time to continue the wisdom journey. 